This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. In the last decades of the 20th century, who could have imagined these scenes of devastation and destruction? Who could have foreseen that early morning flights from Boston to Los Angeles would become weapons of dread and death? In that moment came the realization that the nature of power in the international system was changing dramatically, and that for the first time in modern history, a small group of actors, relatively unsophisticated, armed with an unconventional set of weapons, in this case, jetliners had the capacity to inflict catastrophic destruction on even the most powerful countries in the international system. This is new, this is different. It doesn't take the place of all the other problems that, that we deal with, be it human health or battling infectious disease or trying to repair failing states, but it's layered onto them in ways that are without precedent in our own experience. The only shot we have at coming to grips with this challenge is by a pooling of our intellectual efforts. I think we've been gradually coming to the perspective that universities have to be more engaged in trying to find solutions for the world's problems. Universities are the great think tanks in our modern society, and so they have to play a key role in finding these in finding these solutions not just in in scoping the basic understanding of the problem but also trying to find solutions Just 20 years ago, in the twilight of the Cold War, we knew our enemy well. Our fears were familiar. Whether accidental or intentional, we were fairly certain where an attack would come from. The patterns of the Cold War were unambiguous. By this act, the Soviet Union have added injury to insult. They broke the moratorium on nuclear weapons testing. world's very different today. Now you've got problems where the security issues are taking on a transnational character, with the sources of insecurity coming from many different places. You've got governance issues associated with failed states that overlap into your security problems. You've got issues of global health, for example, as a leading form of transnational insecurity. Today's global challenges are complex, interconnected, and lethal. Rather than stability and calm, the post-Cold War era has brought deadly disorder. The world didn't turn into this kinder, simpler, everybody-be-happy place that we expected after the Cold War. The, the great optimism that existed with the fall of the Berlin Wall didn't yield to a sense of global peace, democracy, and opportunity. Didn't happen because, I think, we had an unrealistic, almost Pollyannish view of uh, what would happen with the end of the Cold War. 
I think 9-11 was a, a reminder to us that no country is an island, that in this globalized environment, what happens around the world affects our lives. We have to be more engaged in the world, not less engaged in the world. American institutions, including research universities, are rethinking how to engage with the world, how to grapple with pervasive globalization, dissolving borders, and amorphous threats. Old approaches need not apply. With the kinds of complex problems that the world's facing today, uh, we can't afford the ivory tower way of doing things. Um, universities need to mobilize our excellent faculty and our wonderful students to address issues that really matter to the world. That's not to say that we haven't done that in the past, it, but it, we are trying to really gather our strengths to do that into the future. At Stanford University, a quiet revolution is underway. Three initiatives in interdisciplinary education, in the environment, human health, and international studies, are transforming the way knowledge is both pursued and applied. In 2005, Stanford launched the International Initiative to combine the talents, skills, and knowledge of students and faculty from every corner of the university to take up the challenge of global problem solving. The provost came to me and to my colleague, Elizabeth Pate Cornell, from the School of Engineering and asked the two of us if we would be willing to chair a faculty steering committee that would just take a fresh look at what was going on in the world or what is going on in the world, what are the really big challenges out there, and what is it Stanford should be doing in reference to those big challenges. And so the faculty committee met uh, half a dozen times over two quarters. Um, we had some fascinating conversations. We had people from the medical school, people from engineering, people from law, people from earth sciences, and of course faculty from the School of Humanities and Sciences, where we actually wrestled this down into what we concluded were a viable uh, set of issues to which Stanford really could make a contribution. The problem at that time was to give a structure to this uh, initiative, an intellectual structure. In other terms, jokingly, we said, pushing a massive wet noodle. And so we needed to give that, um, that wet noodle uh, form so that we could organize the work and also make it attractive uh, to outsiders and make it understandable and address real problems. So we decided to start with the main problems that the world is facing today and that we think Stanford is equipped to at least begin to address, I would certainly not say to solve, but at least begin to address, first, peace and security, the most obvious and one of the most fundamental problems in the world. Governance, because that's a key factor in making things work, and here we're talking about governance uh, at the level of corporations as well as countries, as well as uh, multinational, international organizations, including perhaps the United Nations. And finally, human well-being, not finally, but perhaps starting there, human well-being in terms of economic development as well as global health, for example. As the faculty went through that process, I think they naturally, building on our existing strengths and building on a perception of what the key problems are, understanding, for example, that issues of human development are tied intimately to issues of democracy and issues of preventing terrorism that if people don't have a dream for a better life, that issues of terrorism and issues of failed states become a natural outcome of that, uh, of that lack of a dream. 
Building on Stanford's existing strengths in interdisciplinary studies is central to the design of the international initiative. Matching knowledge to practice is a key objective. In government, where I am now, um, government doesn't divide its functions by disciplines. We don't have the U.S. Department of Political Science and the U.S. Department of History and representatives from bureaus in each of those departments. The problems as they can present themselves to us are always blended. If you take the problem, say, of HIV-AIDS, you immediately have an epidemiological problem and all kinds of interesting scientific issues. But you also have governance issues. Can that government create a public health program that can deliver preventive health? And you also have potential issues of security. Could that government, let's say in Central Africa, actually be able to develop any kind of program of public health if it's beset by civil war or threats from its neighbors? All these issues are interrelated. When you think about the connection between the mass political process and international security decision-making, I think one of the reasons that we're prepared to go after these interdisciplinary initiatives at Stanford is, in fact, because our, our educational programs have set the stage for it. The fact that we have interdepartmental or interdisciplinary programs and that many students engage and many faculty engage in them has set, in a sense, part of the infrastructure we need in order to move in the direction of interdisciplinary challenges. That's not to say that everything is perfect here. We need to lower some of the boundaries, make it easier for people to work together, make it easier for us as a university to connect with the outside world. There's a special place at Stanford where students, faculty, and visiting scholars from many disciplines have been working together to find and promote solutions to global challenges. The Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies is the heartbeat of the international initiative. The history of the Institute for International Studies at Stanford, which only extends back to 1987, 1988, is a story of ratcheted development. There have been four directors, uh, each of whom has found himself with a particular set of challenges that are, that are distinct from the challenges that confronted the director before. So when Dick Lyman came back from New York to become the first of the Institute directors, Dick had to oversee the birthing process, which has a whole set of challenges, and was just instrumental in making sure that the foundation of the Institute was in place by the time he stepped down. He was succeeded by Wally Falcon. Wally had a whole different set of challenges, uh, kind of managing growth pains. What exactly would the Institute look like? What would it include? What would it exclude? Uh, what was its position relative to, to the schools, to the other research entities. David Holloway, who is my uh, predecessor, had yet a third set of challenges that mostly had to do with making sure that the quality of the research that came out of the Institute met the highest possible standards so that the Institute could never be accused of being a, a, a second-order collection of scholars. David is himself uh, a celebrated, a renowned scholar of international history. And David felt very strongly, and correctly so, about quality control. The challenges that I confront as the Institute's fourth director are just qualitatively different from those other three. What I think about is what type of role is the Institute going to play within Stanford in making sure that this university is at the cutting edge of policy-relevant, policy-oriented, first-class research on the big global challenges which we confront.
that's my, that's my challenge. At Stanford, we do have our faculty spread across many different schools, all together on campus, but in different units and departments and schools across, across the university. So places like the Institute are critical for us. They're our coming together place as we bring together the different disciplines and the different skills and, and knowledge set of the, of the faculty and the university. The Institute becomes the place that we meet place where our ideas come together. And the Institute facilitates that and encourages that. FSI offers a boundless array of research, teaching, and outreach activities, and supports faculty who take leave to serve at the highest levels of government. My experience now as Director of Policy Planning, where I'm thinking mainly about questions of democratization and governance, are that the academic findings are often surprisingly relevant. So I think the kind of work that CDDRL is doing on what to do about failed and failing states when you can intervene most effectively, what the fundamental causes of civil strife is in these countries, um, how you might contribute to uh, preventing that, how you can introduce the rule of law most effectively are exactly the kinds of issues that are most important for what the United States government is looking at now, but I think are really the most important issues on the international agenda. And these are problems where we need a lot of academic research to guide the policy enterprise. Washington is a place that is constantly hungry for new ideas, whether they're good or bad. The search for good, original, new ideas is going on in Washington all the time, among policymakers, among journalists, and among scholars. Any institution that has original research and original insight to offer is actually going to find an audience in Washington. It's not easy. It's not instant. But it is doable. Places like CSAC, uh, which has always been plugged into the policy world in Washington, uh, uh, places like APARC and the work that John Lewis has done in, in Korea and elsewhere, uh, has already found resonance in Washington, has already found audiences in Washington. And I think IIS is, is at the point where its influence, which has been significant already, can actually become quite considerable. The Institute, in some ways, showed us how it should be done. It, in its early years, provided that coming together place. Have we done it enough? No, we can do a lot more. And I think as we go into the future with the broader engagement and the um, increased resources going to this, the, the attention and the resources um, will allow the Institute to become that gathering place and that facilitator even more effectively than it has in the past. When the university starts to do something new, what it really needs to do is find the resources to create what is a transformative event. And make no doubt about it, this international initiative and transforming IIS into the into the center for this international initiative is a transformative event for the university. That requires that we have the resources to create new faculty positions and to um, really reach orbital velocity. 
And that's why I think um, uh, Brad Friedman and Ron Spogli's gift was so critical. Uh, and that's enabled us then to really take this vision forward um, much faster than we otherwise would have been able to do. And that's the key. Great to see you. Fine, thank you. John here this summer? Oh yeah, he, he, stays, he stays pretty close. How are you, sir? How are you doing? Bradford Freeman and Ronald Spogley are close friends, business partners in a private equity investment firm, and Stanford alumni. John Hennessy calls their $50 million gift to Stanford rocket fuel to propel the international initiative into the future. What committed me to make a gift like this was I wanted to do something significant to me for Stanford. And Ron was very involved at IIS, and uh, he and I talked about where we thought we could make a major impact, and uh, this was it. The three issues of, of democracy, um, international well-being, uh, and uh, security are the three big issues of, uh, of our day. Sir. And uh, the interdisciplinary aspect uh, of the whole research effort here is obviously critical to, uh, to IIS's mission and critical to its being able to approach these issues uh, in, a, uh, in a way that, that can provide hopefully some uh, very interesting and different solutions to these problems. Stanford is not as bound by tradition as many of the other institutions and it's shown that throughout its history. And I think this is just a further extension of that willingness to try something new, make a commitment to it, and make it work. This vision of Stanford as a practical university, as a catalyst for change, is embedded in the founding grant. This is Leland and Jane Stanford's vision for this institution. The founding grant, which is short, is enormously powerful, but is an unending source of inspiration is the kind of roadmap. Certainly throughout its history, Stanford, back to the date of the founders, has been an institution which has mixed pragmatism with idealism. The Stanfords wanted this practical vision of a university. Uh, if you look at our history and Stanford's rise to prominence, which occurred largely in the post-World War II era, it was one where the university really built up areas such as science and engineering, which had practical applications to the real problems of the world. We need to continue to do the kind of fundamental research that will help solve problems 20 or 30 years from now. But I think we've realized that we also have a responsibility to engage today and to make sure that part of what we do, at least part of the research and the, and the education that we do, addresses the challenges that governments and individuals around the world are facing right now. And they're complex problems, and they're not going to be solved by one discipline working alone. The international initiative is not about bringing the world to Stanford. It's about taking Stanford to the world. What we envision is a university that will be much more visible on the international scene and will have much more of an impact than it already has. And I'm not saying that Stanford does not have an impact, but that it will have a much wider, better known and deeper impact on what's happening in the world at this point, whether it is towards Asia, China, India, Southeast Asia, or whether it's towards South America, whether it's towards Europe, the Middle East, Africa, that the, uh, the presence of Stanford and the ideas that Stanford will have created and disseminated will have an impact.
Some have called September 11th a failure of the imagination. At Stanford, failing to imagine future challenges is not an option. It is the rapidity with which some of these catastrophes could befall the world and the utter certainty that the combination of weapons of mass destruction with the awesome suddenness of their use would pose a set of challenges that we haven't dealt with before that I think does drive the conversation in a different way. What I find so exciting and so challenging and at the end of the day so stimulating about the International Initiative is together with its sister initiatives, the purpose is to transform Stanford as an institution. It's to combine the very best of what Stanford has done since its creation with the demands that we know are coming, frankly because they're here, on Stanford and comparable institutions to assume and to retain a position of leadership within this society in reference to the identification, the definition, and the resolution of the most important challenges which we confront nationally and internationally. That is a huge challenge. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.